0: You're listening to the Hoping in God's Future sermon series at Sojourn East. Whether in times of peace or calamity, security or uncertainty, God invites his people to look to him with hope because he is both sovereign and good. Peace be with you, Sojourn East. It's so good to be with you wherever you might be watching this. Before we jump into today's sermon, let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of technology and the gift and the ability to remain connected, even in this time of social distancing. I pray for us as we open your word today. We know that your spirit, he is actively at work in our lives and in our community. And so I pray that he would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truths that you have for us. And I pray that through this word and through this service, we might continue to grow and deepen as a people of hope. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in a series we've entitled Hoping in God's Future, and our goal is really quite simple. We want to grow as a people of hope. Something that Pastor Jonathan said when he kicked off this series a few weeks ago is that as a church, we're pretty good at looking back. In churches like ours, we do a pretty good job of looking back At the cross and what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And that is good and right and absolutely essential. But something I don't think we're as good at is looking forward to the promised future that God has in store for us. And I don't think it's just our church that's weak at that. I, I think the American church as a whole, that's not one of our strong suits. We are not strong in the area of hope, at least as how the Bible defines. Hope. In the Bible, hope is different than optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see how things can work out for the best. Hope, though, is different. Hope is holding fast to God's promises with confidence, regardless of our circumstances and regardless of what might happen today or tomorrow. And we want to be a people who are deeply grounded in the promises of God that they sustain us and they keep us moving forward regardless of what life throws at us. And so today I wanna talk about how do we actually do that? How do we grow in hope? And the text we're looking at here from Hebrews 10, I think it offers one of the clearest, most succinct answers to that question of how we grow. So now I want to encourage you to look with me at Hebrews 10 verses 23 to 25. The author writes, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I've been reflecting on this text a lot over the last few weeks and Something that I never noticed before, but really struck me is how right after the author calls us to hold fast to our hope in God, he immediately starts talking about community. That for the author of Hebrews, he's telling us that hope grows best not in isolation, but in community with other believers, that hope itself is a community project. And at some level, we all know this. I'm sure we've all had Sundays where we didn't really feel like getting up and going to church. Maybe we were tired, maybe we were discouraged, whatever the reason, we didn't feel like going to church. But then we pushed through that and we showed up and as the service started and as our voices joined with the voices of hundreds of other people, as we passed the peace to one another, as we heard the word preached, as we shared and taking communion together, We felt this sense of renewal, renewed hope in God and renewed faith in his promises. There's something powerful about community that reminds us of, of who our God is and all that he has promised to us. And I think one of the reasons why this pandemic has been so hard for me, and I'm imagining for a lot of you, is not just that there's not a lot of hope in the world, but that we haven't been able to gather for the last eight weeks. Now, yesterday, the governor announced that houses of worship can begin the process of reopening starting on May 20th. And that's really good news, but it's also important that we temper our expectations of what this means for us and what that's going to look like. You know, on an average Sunday before this pandemic, we'd fill this auditorium with over 400 people in each service. And... I don't know when we're gonna be able to safely do that again but it probably won't be for a while. To be clear, we are dreaming and praying and thinking and scheming about what kind of in-person gatherings we will be able to do starting the week of May 20th and we'll have more info to come. But I do think it's important for us to realize that more than likely any worship service we hold in the coming months is gonna look very different than the worship services that we're used to. And so in the meantime, the question is, how do we grow as a community of hope? How do we strengthen our hope and come alongside of each other and encourage one another in hope when we can't meet? How do we live into the calling of verse 25? I love the way the NIV translates it, where it says, let us not give up meeting together. If you grew up in or around the church, you're probably at least somewhat familiar With this passage, it's often a passage that people point to to emphasize the importance of Sunday morning worship at church. And while I don't think that's a wrong application of this verse, if you actually really look at and press into the kind of meeting that the author's describing here, it doesn't seem like large worship gatherings is what he's talking about. The kind of meeting the author describes is highly interactive. It's a meeting where people are encouraging one another and where they're stirring one another up towards love and good works. It's interactive. There's a deep mutuality to it. And if you were to ask me, where does this best happen in our church, this kind of meeting, I'd say it would be in our community groups. It's in our community groups where we really learn to and live out all of the one another commands, not just here in Hebrews 10, but the the dozens throughout the New Testament. And so with the rest of our time together, I want to press into this passage from Hebrews 10 and I want to draw out three marks of a hope-filled community that are given to us here. And I want to do so to encourage those of you who are in community groups that this might spur you on. But for those of you who aren't in, in groups, I pray that Hearing this message and being reminded of God's vision for community might spur you on to reach out and to get involved in a group. But the three marks we see here are intentionality, thoughtfulness, and commitment. A community of hope is a community marked by intentionality, thoughtfulness, and steadfast commitment. Intentionality. Every form of community, whether it's a Christian community or not, every form of community is united around something. It's built into the word, common unity. And we might be united around culture and heritage. We might be united around our interests or our jobs or shared life stages or circumstances. Every form of community is united around something. Now, what makes Christian community unique is that we gather around shared hope, and the promises of God. The promise that through the cross, we've received for forgiveness of our sins, and we are now sons and daughters of God. But even more, the promise that Christ is coming again to heal our world and to make all things new. And so when we think about Christian community, when we think about gathering with smaller, a smaller group of Christians, these promises must play a central role. And that's what the author is getting at in verse 25 when he tells us to keep on encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day he's referring to here is the day that Christ will return, the day when the new heavens and the new earth will be ushered in. And he's telling us when we gather together, we must gather together with that day in mind and we must encourage one another in light of that promise. You know, our lives are filled with so much busyness and so much noise, so much of the time, and it's so easy for us to neglect, to lose sight of, not just what Christ has done for us in the past through the cross, but also what he's promised for us in the future. How much anxiety we have when we think about the future, and we never really take that promise down off of the shelf. We need help to integrate these promises into our life. We need each other. We need community to constantly remind us of who our God is and what he's up to in our world. Without it, we easily lose our zeal. We drift from God. We become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, and we find ourselves in a spiritual malaise where our hearts have just grown cold. And so what this means for us when we think about community is that when we gather, we need to gather with great intentionality. We gather with the goal of stirring one another up and spurring one another on so that we might love well and do good as we seek to live in line with all that God has done and all that he has promised to do. This is our responsibility to one another. Something that really struck me in this text is the calling that the author of Hebrews puts on our lives here is not simply that we would love and do well. although that's certainly true. The calling is that we would also stir one another up towards love and good deeds. And part of what it means for us to walk in faithfulness is to live in deep intentional community where we are actively encouraging one another in light of the promises of God to walk in love and to walk in the good deeds that God has prepared for us to walk in that can only happen and will only happen as we're living in a community marked by deep intentionality. And so the first thing is intentionality, and then you bring to that the second one, which is thoughtfulness. What do I mean by thoughtfulness? Well, in verse 24, the author writes, he says, let us consider. And that word translated consider, it's an important word. It's used only one other time in the book of Hebrews, and that's in chapter 3, verse 1 when the author tells us to consider Jesus. And what he means in that passage is that we need to think deeply about Jesus, reflect on Jesus, to study Jesus. And then here in chapter 10, the author tells us to consider one another. Which means to step into real community, means to commit yourself to thinking about to learning about, to really getting to know others. Biblical community is a place where we know each other so well. We know our, each other's strengths and weaknesses. We know who's introverted and who's extroverted. We know each other's stories, our greatest joys and victories, and our greatest fears and wounds. It's a place where we know each other's life stages and all of the unique struggles that come at the different stages of life. Biblical community is a place where we give great attention to one another. We don't just show up and offer vague general biblical platitudes. We know each other and we know each other so well that we're able to offer tailor-made words of encouragement and exhortation. To be a thoughtful community means that before we speak even a word to one of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we've already thought through How might we encourage this person in this particular moment? We're asking ourselves, what does this unique individual need to hear from me that might strengthen them in their faith and in their hope? Are they discouraged and they need a word of hope? Are they weary and needing of encouragement? Maybe their hearts have grown calloused and cold and they need to be challenged. Thoughtfulness we offer tailor-made words of encouragement and exhortation. In true community, you have to hold both of these together. You have to have the intentionality and the thoughtfulness. If you have the intentionality, the encouragement, the exhortation, without the thoughtfulness, you might say something that's true, but it won't be timely. And truth that's untimely is often unhelpful. One of the things I've seen throughout the years is That few things can kill community quicker than someone who speaks truth. Something that's very much true, but they speak it in an untimely or thoughtless way. Reminds me of one of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 27, 14, where the author writes, If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. And I love that proverb because the intention here, it's good. I wanna bless my neighbor, but they bless them loudly in the morning while they're still asleep. They bless them in an untimely or thoughtless way. And so that blessing, what was meant for good, it's received as a curse. One of the things we need to be careful of as we continue to grow in community is making sure that our words and our encouragements and our exhortations, that they're tailor made for one another. We have to be thoughtful At the same time, we have to be intentional. If you have the thoughtfulness of community, but you don't have the intentionality, your community group can can easily devolve into a good group of friends you like being around, which isn't all bad, but you're never really growing. You're not being spurred on. You're not being challenged. You're not being confronted when you need to be confronted. And you're not being encouraged in the promises of God. You might just be offered general encouragement, but it's not deepening you, or anyone else in that group, in hope. Being in community requires us to to bring this healthy blend of thoughtfulness and, and intentionality so that our hope in Christ might be deepened and that we might leave our time together with our lives more greatly aligned with who our God is and what he is up to in this world. And so for those of you who are in a community group, I think a great question for you to ask and maybe to ask this week is, Which one of these two do you do do better? Does your group do better? Are you better with the intentionality? Are you better with the thoughtfulness? Where might you need to grow? And what might it look like for you to hold these two things together well? That's hard work, though. Holding the intentionality and the thoughtfulness together, it's hard work. It takes a lot of time. And that leads me to the third and final mark of community, steadfast commitment. Something we say often here is that growth takes time, that we don't grow into maturity as individuals overnight. It takes a long obedience in the same direction. And I would say that principle holds true for community as well. True, honest, hopeful, intentional community, it takes time to build, and it requires commitment from us, a stick-to-itiveness. This is at least part of the reason why the author of Hebrews tells us to not give up meeting together. Because growing together in community, it doesn't doesn't happen overnight. It takes time, it takes discipline, and it takes commitment. Now, apparently in the early church, there were some who were committed to being in this kind of community and living with this kind of intentionality and thoughtfulness but then something happened and they bailed on it, which is why the author says, don't give up meeting together. And he says, as is the habit of some, or as some are in the habit of doing. And I find that word habit here so interesting because just as being in a community is a habit, it's something that you build into the rhythm of your life. So too, not being in community can be habit forming as well. You see, according to the New Testament authors, Community, it's not just a meeting we attend. It's not just another event on our calendar. It's a crucial part of the rhythm of our lives. And it's not optional if we really want to grow as a people of faith and hope. But like anything meaningful in life, stepping into real community takes time, it requires sacrifice, and it requires commitment requires sticking it out, especially it requires us sticking it out even when our experience of community doesn't live up to our expectations and our hopes for it. You know, right now we have about 50 to 60 percent of our people are involved in community groups, which is great, but I know there are a lot of people in our church who have been a part of a community group in the past who aren't a part of one now. And there's a lot of reasons for this life stage changes, uh, changes in your schedule, your group disbanded for one reason or another. But I also know there are a lot of people in our church who aren't involved in community right now because they've been burned by it in the past. Maybe they're at a meeting that got awkward or uncomfortable. Maybe said someone sinned against them or said something that was really hurtful. Whatever the reason, you were involved for a while, you tried it out, it didn't go as expected, And so eventually you stepped out. And what what I want to communicate, if you're in that place, it's understandable. I've been there at times. I know how easy it is to just want to hit eject when things get hard. But something I've come to see over the years is that it's in those moments of frustration and disappointment, in those moments, God's actually giving us a gift. Because it's in those moments that our illusions, and our fantasy of what community should be, it dies. And it's there where we actually encounter real community, and real community begins. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he speaks to this phenomenon so well, and it's a lengthy quote I want to read to you, but it's so worth it. Bonhoeffer writes, The serious Christian set down for the first time in a Christian community, is likely to bring with him a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be and then try to realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. Just as surely God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great general disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we're fortunate with ourselves. Only that fellowship which faces such disillusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight, begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to it. The sooner this shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. A community which cannot bear and cannot survive such a crisis which insists upon keeping its illusions when it should be shattered permanently loses in that moment the promise of christian community and i love how bonhoeffer ends it he says he who loves his dream of a community more than the christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial To really grow as a community of hope means pushing through the disappointments and the letdowns and all of the disillusionments so that we can embrace the community that truly is before us. We can truly speak into and step into the imperfect lives of one another just as they step into our imperfect lives. And when we do that, that's when we really start to grow. But it's hard. It's hard to stick to it, especially if someone's hurt you, um, someone you trust, if you've been let down, if you've been disappointed. And that's where we have to remember that at the very heart of our community, the common unity we have, it's not just a general affinity for one another. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the forgiveness that he's shown to us that he secured for us and we recognize and we love one another and we push through disappointments because we know just as our Father in Heaven has forgiven us our sins it's in community where we really learn to forgive one another of each other's sins and few things have the power to grow us like living in community with one another over a long period of time so I want to end with a couple of questions one, do you you have this kind of community in your life You know, one of the real challenges are for people who don't have this kind of community who relied on showing up to Sunday services. Now you haven't had that. So so where are you right now? Do you have this kind of community? Do you provide this kind of community to others? And if the answer is no, I want you to know that at the end of the service, Pastor Mo and I are going to talk and he's going to share some very practical ways that you can get involved in a community group in this season. If you are in a community group, or you're a community group leader, I hope that this sermon will be helpful for you and provide you an opportunity to do some reflection and maybe some refinement on your groups. Maybe it'll lead you to ask, what do we do well? But also, I hope you'd ask, where might God be inviting you to grow? You know, we've always said that if Sojourn were a bird, our two wings would be our Sunday gatherings And our groups. And now we're in this season where one of our wings has been clipped indefinitely. And while that's not ideal, it's okay. In countless times throughout history and in countless places in our world today, the church has not only survived without large worship gatherings, it's actually thrived. And it's thrived through smaller groups of Christians committing to one another to live an intentional, community together but if you survey church history you you will see that the church never supplies survives in places where Christians aren't living in close community with one another church if we're going to come out of this season stronger than we entered into it it's going to be because of our community groups it's going to be because we chose to engage in one another on a personal level that's my prayer I hope that's your prayer as well Let's pray that forward. I'm Kevin Jamison, lead pastor at Sojourn East. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support the ministry of Sojourn East, visit sojournchurch.com slash east.